Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning, church. Good to be with you. I want to first say thank you guys for those who have been praying for my family. As I know last week I couldn't be here because my wife had caught covid She's, she's doing better. She's recovering. She's great. Um, uh, by, by the grace of God, she didn't hit, get hit hard. She just had some aches, no fever, no breathing problems, just kind of down, exhausted, and she's in full crisis. She decided to stay home. Just give her one more week, just in case. Uh, and so we keep praying for her. I've been tested po- a negative, not positive. I told uh, all my family tested uh, all negative, so I have a family that's just negative people and stuff. So... Um, no, no. So I just want to thank Body, the family, for praying for our family. But I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, and so we're going to be uh, in 1 John chapter 4. So if your Bible's open up to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to bounce a little bit. But that's going to be the core uh, passage and text this morning, looking at some of the passages and scriptures uh, this morning. As we've been doing a sermon series called Refocus, this morning we're focusing on refocus by expressing love. Refocus by expressing love. You know, Last year has been a year of triage. Uh, it's like it's been like an emergency room, and we've been so focused on the external, external problems, we lost focus on the internal and the internal problems. I think we lost focus because we've been hit so hard by what we have experienced, we couldn't even catch our breath. You know, last year, 2020, we started with a sermon series called Vision 2020, yet we were challenged, but this vision was challenged because Last year, we saw nothing but division. In fact, we are challenged by a pandemic. We are challenged by polarization. We are challenged by politics that brought division. I think these ills brought to the surface the, the dark side of our society, the dark side of our, our humanity. And many have sought some reprieve at the end of this year by praying that 2021 would bring us better days. But I, I saw this cartoon this week. And it was a picture of two buildings on fire. One said 2020 and one said 2021. And between these two buildings were down below were these firemen that had this net like trampoline and they had this woman in 2020 screaming and they're saying jump, jump. And she jumps from the building only to hit the trampoline and be catapulted into building next to it, 2021, going back into the fire. I think in some sense that's, what we're feeling today. We've just been thrown back into the fire. Guys, I just want to share my heart a little bit with you this week in light of all that's happened this week. I feel that there needs to be a response, and I want to give my responses of what, by what I heard and saw this past week. I'm reminded of Proverbs 29.4 that says this, reading out of the ERV, ERV version, a nation, will bring, a nation will be strong when it has a fair and just king. A nation will be weak when it has a king who is selfish and demands gifts. I think we have forsaken the order of things. First, God is a God of order, and he's put in governances and places to lead the people. It's not perfect, but ordained by God for a purpose. We see that in Romans 13.1. And those who resist it will bring judgment on themselves. We see that in Romans 13.2. And so I was troubled this week by the response of those in the name of God who rushed the Capitol. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need us to defend him. God doesn't need us to defend him. Some think they are doing God's service. You read that Jesus even said that in John 16 too. But what I saw this week was not the gospel. This is the misrepresentation of the gospel. You know, Many of you know I've been against any form of violence and vandalism over the past year, and I still feel the same way. We have been given a right to protest, but not a right to violence or to to bring harm to others. Maybe Colin Kaepernick got it right in this peaceful protest. Maybe we need to take a need and not take the capital. Paul said to do the same in his writing to the young Minister Timothy, to to take a knee for our leaders, to to pray for our leaders. And so violence has never been the answer. In fact, 
A true response to injustice, racism, separatism is love. Love will break any dividing wall. Hate will only build more walls. Jesus remembered his mission in the injustice of the system of his day and laid down his life when they physically and verbally, verbally accosted him. Jesus said this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5, 44. I think we've been given a medium to express our values through our voting rights. And when people have voted and given their voice, whatever the outcome, we need to trust our system of governance and we need to trust God in what he has allowed. I'm troubled because we are a nation that's put their trust in men and not in God. We have been, we, you know, what we have called patriotism is really nationalism. We have to be careful. We haven't created a form of idolatry in this nation. This is wrong and this is sin. And we are so fearful of communism, we've forgotten our communism in Christ. Our hope is not found in men, but our hope is found in Christ. In Christ alone. When a nation moves away from God's instructions as shared through the prophet Micah, in Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? When leaders moved away from worshiping the true and living God and have called on other gods to help, and when they don't pray in Jesus' name but close their prayers in amen and a-women, we are in trouble. And we live in some confusing times, and we've lost our ways. We live in the days of judges when people did what was right in their own eyes. And David writes in Psalm 4, 2, he says, How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? They say this nation was built on biblical foundations. Then why are we seeing a nation with so much hate and corruption? Because we haven't built on a solid foundation, but on sand and stubble. And the house is falling, and when a house is divided, it will fall. This morning, there's hope, though. There's hope. Before we can refocus, we need to repent. Repent as a people, repent as a nation, repent of our self-righteousness, repent for our pride, repent of our self-sufficiency, and call on God again. We want to make this nation great. We need to repent and return to our first love. And I know, first of all, it starts with me. It starts with me. When I get angry and indignant by the evil I see, I remember my own shortcomings, my own sin. Yes, we need to hate evil but not be overcome by it or embittered by it or even think we are superior to others. We must remember we are saved by his grace and his mercy. So to turn this around, we as God's people, we must get back to expressing biblical love. Get back to our first love. Get back to our mission that Christ gave us. We need to hit the reset button. We need to get back to the gospel-centered biblical love. Jesus gave us two commands in scriptures. He gave us the great commission and the great commandments. The great commission was found in Matthew 28 when he said what? To go make disciples of all nations, all tribes, all people groups, baptize him in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach him to obey all that I have commanded and do this and I'll be with you until the end of the age. Then he gave a great commandment, which was to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. This is the foundation which the church is called to build on, to love God, to love people, to love others. New Vision has a mission and it has a method. I want to read that to you this morning of what we exist, what our purpose is as, as a church is this morning. New Vision exists to trans people, transform people in their communities right, by replicating the followers of the biblical Jesus, what? Through expressing love, equipping believers, empowering service, and evangelizing near and far. That's our mission as a church, that we want to follow the Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus of, as we see in the Bible, not the homeboy Jesus, right? Not, not the, 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 the hipster Jesus, but the Jesus of the Bible. The one who, who laid his life down for us. 
The one who said, consider the cost. That's the Jesus we want to follow. So before I get in my message this morning, I want to pray that his spirit would be here so we can learn and grow and listen to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our instructor. The pers- third person of the Trinity. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come humbly before your throne this morning, beseeching you, lamenting this morning. Father, asking that you would speak to your people this morning through your word. Father, we repent of our own undoings and our own misrepresentation of you. We, I repent, Lord, of my own, even my own racism and my own ungodly heart sometimes. And even when I get enraged and bitter, Lord, I ask you, forgive me. And Father, you forgive us as a people if we've not represented you well. Father, we ask that you would begin to start with each of us in our own hearts, Lord, to teach us how to love you and to love others the way you've commanded us to. Father, we know that a nation cannot change unless the people change. And Father, you start with your church. You said in your word, you're going you're to first judge the household of God. That's us, Lord. And so I, I humbly come before you this morning, Lord. And Father, your word says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore a, a right spirit in me. And if there's any wicked way in me, Lord, reveal it, that I may be made new. Father, you said if we confess our sins, Lord, you're just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, we come as a church. If we failed you and failed those we've served this this morning, then, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses and sin for the wrong we may have done before you and before others. That we may be a church that is blameless and without spot, being perfected until your day comes. So, Lord, we repent. We, we turn away from those things that maybe we've been impressed on that are not of you. That, Father, your counsel of your word will guide us and lead us this morning. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 looking at refocusing by expressing our, our love this morning. And the first thing I want to talk about is that refocus begins with understanding that God first loved us. That God first loved us. We see that in 1 John 4, 7 through 10, then we'll, then we'll look at 17 to 19. I think love is such a powerful thing. I've seen people run into dangerous situations for the sake of their loved ones. When a house is on fire, fear is removed because of the love, and the family will rush into, into the fire to rescue their loved ones. And they're willing to lay down their lives for those They love him. That's the power of of love. But I want you what you want. I want you to understand this morning that, first of all, God's love is good news. God's love is good. Look at verses 7 through 10 of 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of the God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. First of all, we have to understand this in verse seven, that God is the author of love. He's the creator of love. He's the author of love. And if we want to practice biblical love, we need to know the author of love. If I want to know what love is, I better be intimate with the one who created love. And I need to be intimate in love with the one who created love. Because God first loved us. This unconditional biblical love is translated in the Greek agape. That, that word agape is the Greek word for love. It, it, it means affectionate, benevolent, brotherly love or sisterly love. God loved us before we loved him. I want you to grasp that because people have a hard time with with God's love. We have an affectionate, benevolent God full of grace and truth who was incarnated through the life of Jesus. We know that this love 
is manifested through the fruit of the Spirit. Through the fruit of the Spirit, right? We know in John's Gospel, it defined God as Spirit, that God is Spirit in John 4, 24. And then Paul writes to the Galatians in 5, 22 and 23 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, is love. That's the manifestation in our lives is love because God lives in us. God dwells in us. We've taken on the nature of God because Christ in us is in us. He is love. Love is the mark of those who know the author of love. You don't love, you don't know God. You don't know God. And when we see what we see in our society this last year in response to what we've seen, if it's hate, it's opposition of love. In fact, the scripture says that they'll know that you're a follower of the one, Jesus, if you love one another. A mark of a disciple is one who loves and is known by his love. And what you see here, he's, he's beginning to lay down the foundation, first of all, that God is the author of love. In the first two verses, seven, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, as he's the originator of love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, born of the Spirit. But when you get to nine and 10, God demonstrated his love in five ways. He demonstrated his love in five ways here we see in 9 and 10. Because love is an action word. It's an action word. And he's defining love in these verses in 9 and 10. First of all, what does he say that he manifested his love? Love is visible. It's not invisible. It's visible. Love of God was manifested here. He, it was revealed. The word manifested was to make known or to reveal. God the Father loved the word. He gave his son. He revealed his son. And the word became flesh. He, it was real. It was tangible. It was visible. But also love was a choice. We see that. God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. God chose to demonstrate that love. But also, love is life-giving. Love is life-giving. He says, by this love, we might have life through him. Because he who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son does not have life. We read that in 1 John chapter 5. That life is in his son. That he gives us life, and because he gives himself through love, he's, he's a God that transforms us by his love. But love is also sacrificial, because it says in verse 10 that he is a propitiation, he's a sacrifice, he's an atonement. He was the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world. He covered our sin, and, and by his sacrifice, he passed over our sins because we can't ignore sin, so he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He gave up of himself. God demonstrated his love, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, Scripture says in Romans. He had to deal with our shortcomings. He had to deal with it, and so because he loves us, he demonstrated that love. He didn't just talk about love. He lived love out by sacrificing himself. And love is without partiality. Not that we love God, but he loved us. You know what God does? God loves the unlovable. We were unlovable apart from Christ. Yet he still loved us. No matter where you are in your walk with God, whether you are following Jesus or not following Jesus, God loves you. He loves you because you're created in his image. He loves you because he molded you. That's where he starts. It's not by what you do or who you are. He just loves you. And what does that love do for us? 
Number one, God's love removes fear. God's love removes fear. Look at 17 through 19. It says this, love has been perfected among us in this. This is how love is matured. This is how love has grown in our life. When he says perfected in us, that we may have boldness, another word, some translation might say confidence, in the day of judgment, because he is, and so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. First of all, a lot of times we as God's people, because we don't fully understand God's love, are fearful that what happens when we die and we go before Jesus. Or we live in a way that maybe, like, I'm not perfect, pastor, and I'm afraid that I'm not going to make it in. Then you don't have the understanding of God's love. His faith, we're, we're saved by faith through grace. We know that, right? We're not saved of our works. It's a gift of God. God's given us this gift. He's done the work on the cross. We receive the work on the cross. And by faith, we receive this great work. And when we receive this great work, guess what? We've been made clean. We're sanctified. So when we stand before God, that's why we can, we can stand with confidence at the judgment seat. But many of us live in fear because we fail to understand the power of God's love. Because his love covers a multitude of sin. His love perfects us. We are not perfect, but he is perfect. And his sacrifice is perfect. And his sacrifice, what was the propitiation? We just looked at it. It covers us. So when I stand at the judgment seat, because he's talking about the judgment, people are afraid. That's why people, when you call altar calls, every Sunday the same people keep coming forward because they don't understand God's love. They don't understand his mercy. They don't understand his grace. They don't understand that they've been washed and made perfect. But pastor, I mess up. Absolutely, but in God's eyes, you're perfect because they don't see you. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees Jesus, the perfect one. That is the love of God. That is what, but we live in such fear because we think, because we haven't done it right, guess what? Now we live in that work theology that I think I have to do enough work in order to get into the kingdom. That's why you live in fear. Have I done enough? Have I read my Bible enough? Have I stopped sinning enough? Have I started changing the thinking in my mind enough? Guys, we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been clean and sanctified. Walk in that identity. Walk in that love. Rejoice in those very things. See, the word perfect here in 17 doesn't translate, you know, that we're perfect, like perfect behavior. It means when God washes, he made us perfectly perfect and completely complete. <laughs> That's the spiritual work of God in our life. That's what he's saying here. So if I know that and I understand that God loves me, he's done this great work and his love covers a multitude of sin and I'm forgiven and I'm doing all this, then I could stand at the judgment seat. That's the judgment seat is for the believer, not for the non-believer. And I could stand with boldness and confidence, not in my own boldness and my own confidence of what I've done, but in the work that God's done, that I don't need to be fearful. I don't need to be fearful. You know, people... Ask me, Pastor, why have you opened your church? Why are you doing all these things? Aren't you afraid of COVID? And aren't you afraid you're going to get sick? And aren't you afraid you're going to die? You notice the word afraid, 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 afraid? Listen, if you're most vulnerable, please stay home and watch online. I don't want to put you in a compromising situation. If you want to come, come and join us in worship. We invite you to come. But I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in fear of the COVID virus. I'm not going to live in fear of the injustice because I know God, God, protect. But pastor, what if you die? What if you die? See, the, the reason people are so afraid is they forgot that, guys, I'm not made for this world. I, I want you to understand something. I live, I, I'm a citizen of heaven. I live in a different kingdom. But I'm about still God's mission and purpose. And that's what I tell people. You're afraid because you don't know what's going to happen after this life. You think this is the only life. You think this is just it. But there's more to the story. So we walk in that confidence. God knows the appointment of our day. 
God knows the number of our day. I don't know why my wife got COVID and I didn't. I sleep in the same bed with her. I kiss her. I hug her. I do all that stuff, but I didn't get it. That's the grace and mercy of God. I'm not here to, to boast that I'm... I, I tease her. I said, I got the anointing. No, forgive me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, I was joking with her. But by the grace and mercy of God, I didn't get it. That's all it is. And, and, and the reason I say that, I, I walk in the fact that when I stand before God because of his love for me and what he's done, I can go confidently and not be fearful of the judgment seat. Guys, I want to encourage you that you're his children. You're confident of that because love is a shield against torments, right? God is not a God of, of torment. The word torment means to punish or punishment. He has no desire to punish us. Guys, when your children do wrong, are you like, oh, this is my opportunity to punish them? Maybe you do. I don't know. As parents, maybe you take pleasure in that. I don't know. Listen, God takes no pleasure when the wicked perish. He takes no pleasure in that. Right? But the love removes the torment. It removes the idea of punishment. It removes the idea of fear. You know, he's wiped away. He's wiped away the fear because his love is perfect. And when we have fear, we fail to understand God's love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. So be careful we don't go back and forth with that. Guys, I struggle with that. There's not, oh, Lord, I'm oh, sorry, Lord. You know what I mean? Even me, I've been walking almost 40 years with the Lord now. doesn't mean I don't have those battles. But then I go to the scriptures and keep holding on to the promises of his word right? Our love should be a response to his love. We see that in verse 19, right? He gives a, a declaration. He gives actually two declarations that the believers are to love, have a love for God, but understanding that God first loved us. You know what? He loved us when we mocked him and, and his church. He loved us when we denied his message of love. He loved us when we battled our own addictions. He loved us when we walked contrary to his ways in conduct and arrogance. You know what? He even loved us when we burned down buildings and stormed the Capitol. He still loved us. Because he first loved us before we loved him. He even loved us in the garden when it was perfect. Right? And when Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, and they hid themselves, and they tried to cover themselves. They didn't seek after God. God sought after them. God sought that his love was one that motivated him to seek out to him, and then he saw their nakedness, and they saw they were ashamed, and God said, I'm going to cover your shame. Even when you try to cover yourself, that wasn't sufficient. So even back then, he sacrificed something to cover their own shame and brought back into the presence of restoration and working on that. Because he first loved us. First John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. The children of God. That's just my first point. We got another couple hours. Because I want, I want, you, I want you to bask. I want you to bask in God's love. I want you to marinate in it. You need that. We worshiped today. We worshiped. Man, I was so blessed by the worship, frankly, today and the team. Man, it just entered in. I was basking in God's love and his promises that he's working. Even in the midst of the chaos, he's working. There's great love stories being told in the midst of this chaos. But number two. Focus is lost when we are tempted by distractions. So we know when we're trying to walk in love, there's distractions, right? There's distractions on the way. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16, because we're going to jump there. Just go back a page or so in your Bible. It says, you know, today you can, you can um, pull up to the pumps at the gas station and discover all the choices at the pumps, right? right? You have regular gas, super gas, supreme gas, and now you even connect it on the same pump. There's diesel on the same pump. And if you're not careful... And not paying attention or distracting, you can easily make a mistake by taking the diesel fuel and putting it in your car. Trust me, it won't go too far. All right? What we do as believers sometimes is we come to church to get unleaded, and then Monday we go to the world and get diesel and wonder why we're only chuggling along. 
getting distraction because distractions come by misplaced desires. By misplaced desires. Look at 15 of 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The first distraction this morning is that misplaced love. Is our love more for the world than it is for God? Because that's what he's saying here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. He's, he's drawing a line. He's saying, be careful of these distractions. This world is going to be distracting to you. Okay? Do not entertain the things of this world because distraction will come by misplaced love. Now, this is confusing because if you read the famous Bible verse of John 3.16 by the same author who wrote this book, he says, well, but for God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. Wait, pastor, is that a contradiction? No, 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 no. There are many, there are many different words for the word love in the Bible, right? God's love is like, you know, film agape love, right? There's a agape love. There's eros love, or which you get a word erotic. There's storge love, right, where we get the word family love. And there's phileo love, where we get the word friendship love, or the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, phileo, city of brotherly love. There's different words for the words love. And so we got to define what John is saying here when he talks about not loving the world and defining what, what that really means, what that really means. Because it's, the, the, when you look at these passages, the, the word love in the Greek is two diff- is different words here, right? Two different Greek meanings. What does the word do not love the world mean? Right? Well, well what does it mean by the world? The world can mean a physical planet, it can mean humanity or a system of this world. Specifically in this verse, it translates an organized system headed by Satan that distracts us from God's love. The word world there is the word in the Greek, cosmos. Cosmos. We are called to love God or agape God, but we are not called to agapo, which is a different word of love, the world. What's the object of our love, right? What, what, are, what are we entertaining this morning? In fact, the word love here, do not love the world, is not the word agape, but agapo. It means to entertain, to be fond of, or to love dearly. So what do we love dearly in this world? What are, we, what are we entertaining in this world? What are we entertaining in our homes? What are we taking pleasure in in our homes? Because it's in a negative sense is what he's trying to do here, the apostles. It's in a negative tense here. Now, entertainment is, is not wrong. I'm not saying you cannot have entertainment. You cannot have fun. You cannot go be and do something. In fact, the Bible says, be careful how you treat one another because you might what? Inter- be entertaining what? Angels. There, there's, there's hospitality and entertainment. But what the point that he's making is there is some form of wrong entertainment that we could take pleasure in that's not healthy for us. That's distracting from us. So... What he's saying is don't be fond of this world, right? Don't get connected and comfortable in this world. Remembers Lot's wife, she got comfortable in Sodom and Gomorrah and she couldn't let go and she turned to a pillar of salt. She couldn't release it. Remember, we are not made for this planet and I shared with you we are citizens of heaven. Why are people so discontent or depressed or discouraged or dissatisfied? Because the world promises a lot but fails to deliver because it will never satisfy, right? You know, you might do things and that moment might be pleasure for the moment. It might feel good for the moment. But what will it cost you? What will it cost you? What will this distraction cost you? This, this moment of relapse, this moment of addiction, this moment of anger, this moment of covetousness, this moment of those things that we take pleasure in, and for those, what is it going to cost us? We don't think about that in the decisions we, we make. So, first he's saying, be careful to love the world, but then what he does here, the apostle John writes, is let me tell you three areas that keeps you loving the world. Look at verse 16. Distractions could come from three areas in our life. 16, for all that is in the world, these things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Right? The world promises to satisfy, the world promises to satisfy legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. This is the enemy's means by which he wants to distract you. 
He wants to distract you. This distraction led to the fall of all humanity in the garden. In fact, the word lust here translates in a negative manner. It's actually a lust or desire for what is forbidden. So he uses these three things, lust of the flesh, right? Hunger is good. Gluttony is bad, right? Sex is good. Immorality is bad, right? Now, we, we offer things lust and sexual, but think about it. We get hunger for power or for prestige or for popularity. There's a lot of things we can hunger in this world for, right? That could be of the flesh. See, the, the lust of the flesh gratifies our own desires at the expense of others and doesn't care what God's desire is for us. Lust of the flesh is, is a life lived with ourselves at the center. It's what I can get, what's best for me. And I'll step on others in order to get what's best for me. That's the lust of the flesh. Think about this, this three things are what the enemy has used in all of humanity to, to distract us. It even goes all the way back to the garden. Eve was given a warning not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good to eat or the fruit of the knowledge of good to evil, to not eat the fruit. But there was temptation that came by the serpent. And she said she saw the tree that it was good for food and she partook and ate it. What was she doing? She was looking for something to satisfy her appetite. You know what people are doing today? They're looking for things to satisfy their appetite. Whatever it is, it could be relationships, it could be money, it could be education, it could be whatever. You put, you put in there what it is, your desires there. But we have to be careful that this appetite is not an appetite for destruction. There's healthy appetites and there's wrong appetites. Now, how are we going to change that? I'm going to throw this out to you because it has to do with eating. Okay? We are going on a Daniel fast starting tomorrow for the church. Okay? We've been advertising it. Daniel fast is a 21-day fast that you can eat, you know, vegetables and fruit and nuts and different things like that. But the focus is you're, you're addressing the, the appetite here. You're addressing the denial of the flesh in order to seek the bread of life. You're, you're, you're denying certain things in order to seek the living God. You're, take, you're mastering your flesh. You're crucifying the flesh. And so for the next 20 ways, 21 days, I'm going to have to put aside my milk and Oreo cookies. Come on now. So that's a big sacrifice. You know what I mean? That, that first world problem. But I have to deny myself. I have to, it, I have to deny my flesh because we're mastering our flesh. Because our flesh has an appetite. And it's going to fight you the first day. For those that have done fasting, just direct fasting, the first couple days are the hardest because your body is crying out. It's desiring. It's hungry. It wants it. It's going to mess with your mind. It's going to mess with your discipline. It's going to mess with you emotionally. It's going to do some mood swings. It's going to do all those things. Guys, you have to take captive that flesh, that control of that flesh because the lust of flesh can be strong in our life. But then he says here the lust of the eyes, Right? The enticement of what we see. What do we focus on? The things that we see with our eyes. Advertisements appeal to all these three things on TV. You know that, right? The desire, the eyes, the ego, the lust of, really the lust of the eyes is an enticement of what we see, right? We have to be careful that our sight is not anchored in the material world. It's not anchored in the material world, right? It's another way for covetousness. Oh, I like what I see, Right? I see it, I like it, I want it, right? Remember the story in Joshua chapter 7 when they tore down Jericho? But they said, don't take any of the goods, don't take any of the gold, don't take any of the stuff, that's for the temple, that's before God. But in Joshua, read the story about a man named Achan who was tempted. And we read in verses 20 and 20, when I saw among the spoils, well, I saw when I saw among the spoils the beautiful Babylonian garments and 200 shekels of silver and the wage of gold, weighty filthy shekels, I coveted them and took them, and then they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with silver under it. He couldn't resist the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and he took those very things. And this very thing, this sin, is what killed him and his whole family. Even when 
Eve saw the fruit and it was pleasing to her eyes, it says in Genesis 3. She was drawn to it, but it was forbidden. And yet she partook and it brought in spiritual death. She couldn't get a hold of the lust of the eyes. Then it talks about the pride of life. These are things that distract us in this world, right? That has to do with arrogance of position and possessions, boasting about what you have. In fact, the Greek word for pride is alazonia, which means a bracket, a show off. You're living to impress others, right? You're spending things to have the nice clothes. You're spending things to, to look a certain way. You're spending you're yourself in debt in order to bring an appearance of who you really are and can't even afford. You're living above your means in order to, to get affirmations of others. It's like a person who has his own trouble blowing their own horn, building their own kingdom, and they are distracted to build a reputation image to impress others. But we know that pride comes before the fall, amen? And we forget this world is passing away, the scripture says. We even know, even in even the garden, even with desires, he said, if I partake of this food, it was desire to make me wise. If I was wise at how smart I could be and how appealing that would be to others. People think I'm smart and I'm good and I get affirmation and I get all these things. We get caught up in those things. This is the same exact method that Satan did with Jesus in the temptation to distract him, right? The lust of the flesh, he offered him bread. If you could just turn the stone into bread because Jesus was hungry, right? The lust of the eyes, hey, Look at the kingdoms. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. The pride of life. If you're really the son of God and you cast yourself off this temple, would an angels catch you appealing to his ego? But he didn't fall for it. He didn't fall for it. These are the things that can easily distract us from focusing on expressing love, being consumed with ourselves, our own desires, with what we see, our own egos. This is the love of the world careful. And lastly, this morning, refocus begins when we love God and others. Love God and love people. <laughs> right? First John, go back to First John chapter 20, First John 4, verse 20 and 21. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was born with a birthmark on my chest. Some people call it a beauty mark. And when we are born again, we have been given a birthmark or a beauty mark called love. <laughs> and that's the mark of the Spirit. In 1 John 4, 12 and 13, it says, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And that by this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he's given us his spirits. Right? But what we see here, what we see here in verse 20 is that love and hate don't mix in God's kingdom. Love and hate don't mix in God's kingdom. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? Right? I think this is what we're seeing today. On our streets, across our nation. How can you say I'm a follower of Jesus and hate your brothers? It doesn't mix. It doesn't go together. If you confess to be a lover of God, you cannot hate your brother and sisters. If one thing, it's one thing to say you love someone, it's another thing to express that love to that person. In fact, if you hate your brother and sister, your faith is a sham. Your faith is a sham. And if you can't love the one you see, how do you love the one you cannot see? See, your love for God is not measured by what you say as much as measured by what you do. We need to practice this agape love, this godly love, this phileo love with our friendships and our relationships to love God and to love others. And love is expressed to God and others. Look at 21. And this is the commandment that we have from him. This is the commandment we have from God, from Jesus, that who loves God must love his brother also. That's the command. How do we practice and express this biblical love. Now, I'm going to close with this. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25 because I want you to see this, and we're going to close with this because this is the practice. This is the application. This is what I want you to catch here, right? Matthew 25, look at it, starting at verse 31. Look at this, and I want to read it, and we close with that. I love the pages turning. Matthew 25. This is a 
passage that has to do with judgment. Notice in your Bible, it's red letter edition. That means Jesus is speaking these words. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Okay, it's coming from his mouth, but they're very, very important that you catch this. 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, so he has a posse, and he will sit on the throne of his glory, so we know God's going to rule, amen? We talked about ruling this Christmas, that he has a scepter, he's going he's to rule. But look at this, and all the nations, all the tribes, tongues, and nations, all the ethnos, all the ethnics, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. There's a judgment day. There's a separation day coming. This is at the end here. I want you to catch this. This, this is very important. Look what it says this. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. He's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers. Okay. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. God's been preparing this heaven since the beginning of time. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, mm, hold on to that one, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison or come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, here it is, Underline it in your Bible. Highlight it, whatever you do. Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. God has commanded us to love him and to love others. And when we love the ones we see, we're loving the one that we cannot see. When we, when we love those, our neighbors, when we love those across the street or across the park or across the nation, wherever it may be, we loving them, we're actually loving them, we're actually loving God. We're practicing both that practice and that command as we're serving. It didn't say they had to have a social security number or an ID number or had to have a certain things in order to be loved. Didn't say they needed a passport. Didn't say they needed any of those things. It just says it causes us to love them. And when we love them, we're loving Jesus. Didn't give stipulations in here. But then look at this. 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart me, you are cursed into the everlasting... Oh, I'm sorry, I missed the spot here. No, no, no. See, then he will also say to those who left me, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also answered him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, or did not minister to you? Then he will answer them and saying, Surely I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Meditate on that. Say law on that today. We're called to love God and love others. That's the order of things. And when we're loving others, we're loving God. That's the practice meeting the needs, meeting those. Jesus said, even if they're your enemies, you turn your other cheek. When you turn your other cheek, you're saying, let's keep building this relationship. I may not agree with you. I may not understand you. I may, you know, we have, we are such a diverse group of people here with different backgrounds and cultures and, and ethnicity and, and whatever it is, but we still have one thing in common, that's Jesus. We're still called to love God and love one another. That's, that's the foundation that's the love. That's the practice. That's what we're refocusing on. Refocusing on expressing our love to God and to one another. I close here. 
Refocus begins with understanding that God first loved us. You got to understand that God loves you first. Love. Rest in that. Second, focus is lost. We are tempted by the distractions. Hey, be careful we don't love this world and give tan to this world. And then we're, we're, we're battled by the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things by which the enemy will sidestrack you, distract you, and get you away from your love of God and his love for you. Or the lie of that. Because God will still love you. But he'll, the enemy will speak lies. Oh, you're not good enough. You're not loving enough. No, God loves you. Refocus begins when we love God and others. When we love God and others, like we read in Matthew 25. When we did it unto the least of these, we did it to Jesus. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. And we ask your hand upon your people, Lord. Father, teach us as your people to love unconditionally. Father, we sang a song that I didn't come to get a blessing. But there is a blessing when we love in the ways you've called us to love. And so I pray for your church today. I pray that we would be the testimony, that we would be the witness of God's goodness and God's love. Lord, that our differences wouldn't get in the way of your love. And so I pray for your people this morning. Father, that we refocus on what the priority is, and that is love. So I ask these things believing that you're more than able in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.